It's a pleasure to be here today. I've had my six donuts, my four cups of coffee, got my new shoes on, and I'm ready. I'm ready. Hope you guys are too. Um, you know, Foothills has been so faithful and blessed uh, over the past years to have pastors that, that just preach out of the Word of God. Um, you know, in Scripture, the Apostle Paul said, to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. Amen? Amen. Amen. And it seems that so many churches around the country these days are preaching on culture and politics. And when you're at Foothills Church, you're not going to get culture and politics. You're going to get the Word of God. And like last week, uh, Pastor Craig brought us such a great message from, from King David in Psalm 5, talking about the wickedness, uh, the fact that, that God hates wickedness and evil and among his servants. I, I so appreciated that word. Um, so many opinions and thoughts in our culture. You know, I've been around, as of last week, a little over 61 years. And I know it probably looks worse than that, but <laughs> the culture's changed quite a bit over those last six decades, you agree? And mostly not for the good. I've always felt I had the kinship of the people that were, were born and raised in the 50s like my parents. I like their music, I like their values, I like the fact that people stayed married, uh, and that's one, of the, that's one of the ways Lori and I have tried to, to live our life, um, kind of discounting culture and, and not buying into it. But could you imagine being a pastor today and trying to fit everything you do into the culture? I think that's why so many young pastors get burned out. Every four or five years, the culture changes, and they need to talk about uh, whatever's going on then. They need to water down the gospel to keep people in the seats. They need to make sure the songs are entertaining so people are in the seats. And this church has been around for a long, long time. We were the first church ever in Rancho Santa Margarita. A man named Dan Schaefer came along and he just wanted to preach the gospel. He was basically a part-time pastor. We met in the school and he preached the gospel every single week. And Dan hung wallpaper to make ends meet. And then they added a man named Brad Fogel. God bless him. I miss him. But our, our pastor for 25 years, every week, in the Word of God, not in culture. And then Pastor Craig and Pastor Roger continue every week to bring us the Word of God. So that's what we're going to get into today. It's not a topical message. It's a message about some parables that Jesus, that Jesus talked about. In Matthew 25, please turn there with me. Verses one through 30. We're back in Matthew and the context here, and it's very important that we understand historical and cultural context. Some of this stuff, if you look at it through Western eyes, won't make much, much sense to you. When we talk about a wedding ceremony, you're not going to understand it. Why would they do that? We don't do that today. But Jesus wasn't talking about today. He was talking to his disciples in those times, and they understood totally what he meant. So uh, the context here is that this is just the week or two before Jesus goes to the cross, maybe just days before his trial and crucifixion, his last moments with his disciples. Now, in Matthew 24 that Roger shared with us a couple weeks ago, he had just spoken about, oh God, please let this work. Yes. <laughs> the destruction of the temple, 
the signs of the end of the age, the abomination and desolation, Jesus' own return after the tribulation and the fact that no one will know the hour or the day. And he says in Matthew 24, 42, keep watch. Always keep watch. Therefore, keep watch. Today, we're going to, in Matthew 25, there's two parables for the disciples. One that's not really familiar to us. Um, Frankly, I don't ever remember hearing a sermon on it. And the other one that's very familiar to us. Before I continue, I'm going to share a couple, couple issues that I have. And one of the t- some of the times you give somebody like me a microphone, uh, you, get to hear, you get to hear what I have to say. A um, couple pet peeves of mine. When we read scripture and when I sit in Bible studies, and this is throughout my 31 years as a, as a follower of Christ, what this verse means to me. You guys know what I'm talking about? Well, I read this verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, for a hope and a future, to prosper you. And, well, wait a minute. That's awesome. Lori and I were given that by a realtor in 1992, just as, just as we were going broke and selling our house and moving to Port Huron, Michigan from Oceanside, California. That's a big difference. Not something you want to do, something you have to do. And we didn't see God in that. Uh, but God gives you the test first and the lesson later, right? And we realized when we got to Port Huron, Michigan, that we found, we found God there. And, and our family just thrived for the four years and one day. Yes, we counted. Four years and one day, we lived there before we could move back and live here in Rancho Santa Margarita. But when we got that verse, I thought, this is so amazing. This is so nice. This is so for us. Well, as I grew in my Christian faith, I realized I read the background of that verse. It's for the Jews who spent 70 years in Babylonian exile. That wasn't written to me. So we have to be very careful when we take verses and we use them and interpret them just for us. Amen? There's a verse that said Judas hung himself. And there's another verse that says go and do likewise. We put those together and what do we get? Judas hung himself, go and do likewise. We would never do that. So we need to be very careful when we do that and that's what we're gonna talk a little about today. The Gettysburg Address. Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address in a a battlefield in Gettysburg. And if I interpret that and say, well, what that meant to me, does that make any sense? It's what it meant to Lincoln. What was Lincoln trying to say? when he gave that address. So we need to be very careful with that with scripture. My second pet peeve is, my God thinks this way, or the God of my understanding. You ever heard that? Just watch some celebrity show. You know, well my God wouldn't allow this. My God wouldn't allow people to go to hell. Well, we're gonna find out in this parable what God really is and when somebody, one of the uh, servants mistakenly thought they knew God. See, we have the God that created the universe, created the heavens and the earth, everything in it. You don't get a personal God of your own, do you? There is but one God and it's the one who created. This message is about ownership and stewardship. Who owns the world? Who owns your life? And there's a few verses, there's hundreds of verses like this 
But, it, but it's amazing when, when Roger gives me a topic and he says, hey, Matthew 25, and so I start doing research, and, and I don't know how many of you get the verse of the day on your, on your phone? Okay, there's three Christians in here. Okay, so, <laughs> so we get the verse of the day. Oh, Cindy's got her hands up. Okay, she's got it up twice. There's five. Um, this verse came up, Psalm 24.1, and I'm researching about God owns everything, and this verse just happens to hit my phone. Nothing is a coincidence in the kingdom of God. Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. What do you own? But we act like we own it, don't we? With clenched fists. In Job, and we talk about Job all the time. Oh, Job was such a righteous man. Job was amazing, and he was. But what did God say to him towards the end of the book? Job, where were you when I created the mountains and the hills and the water? Where were you? Who do you think you are? But his buddy Elihu says to Job and his friends, if God were to take back his spirit and withdraw his breath, all life would cease and humanity would return to dust. God's pretty powerful, right? God just needs to take his breath away. And then what do we get? Nothing. Hebrews 3, 4, which is called Commentary of the Old Testament, definitely the book of Isaiah, says, for every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is the Lord. And of course, Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's pretty clear. There's hundreds of verses like that in scripture. I just, I just picked four of them for you. See, our life is a, and our place in the world is we are a steward, not an owner. And many times we just act like we own things. Hey, man, do you own your house? Sure. Well, no, the bank owns my house. I'm just paying for it. Uh, actually, I don't have a job. Lori's paying for it right now. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> because it wasn't working for me, right? Thank you. Thank you. Amen. Thank God to have a wife with a good job at the church. <laughs> but we are not owners. We are mere stewards. So now what I want to do is I want to read Matthew 25, 1 through 13 together. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. If you have a Bible, great. If you have a phone or an iPad, great. Look it up. But uh, I, want to, I want to bring up someone. I would do something a little different. I want to bring up my reader because I'm in a life group with this young man, and he is a tremendous reader. We all know how to read, but this guy is awesome. So Justin Worth, come on up. Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, uh, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourself. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. 
Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let's give him a hand. What you need to do is you need to find a high school drama teacher. You need to be in life group with him. This hit me last night. I was reading through this, and I said, well, let's read. And I go through the message, and I was like, wait a minute. He is way better at this than I am. So thank you for that. He'll be back in a little bit. Now, we think this is a really odd story. He talks about the parable of the ten virgins. We don't hear that quite often. What are we talking about? There's five virgins with, with oil in their lamp and five virgins that don't. And, and what are we talking about? This is a week-long wedding feast. Well, do you know that if we look through Western eyes, like Americans, we, we don't do this. We, we go to a wedding ceremony for about two or three hours, drink a little wine, have a little dancing, unless you're Baptist, and then we don't do that at all. And what happens is we're done. And we celebrate with the bride and groom and their bridesmaids and their groomsmen, and we hear some really corny speeches, and then we leave. But in Jewish custom, and it's still in, in favor today in Israel and in the Middle East in certain areas, that these wedding ceremonies lasted an entire week. The bridesmaids were, had to be ready the entire week to get ready and wait for the bridegroom. And the bridegroom showed up when he was ready. Well, who's the bride of Christ in this story? The church. And who's the bridegroom? Is Jesus. Okay? So in this story, Jesus is telling them, and the disciples would have understood this because they were Jews. And they've been through this before. So what happens is they were supposed to always be ready. When he showed up into town, the bridal party was required to greet him and escort him to his bride. The lamps are to be used if he comes at night because you weren't allowed in the streets without an oil lamp in those days. At all times, they must be ready. Now, what the, 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 the people would do is to see if the, if the bridesmaids were not ready and they had fallen asleep. And then all of a sudden, the, bride, the bridegroom showed up and then the ones who were ready would escort him into the hall or the house, wherever they were to get married. They shut the door, and guess what happened? No one else was allowed. So what Jesus is really saying here is the five virgins were prepared. They were always prepared. The other ones did not go and purchase the oil for their lamps. And then what happens is here comes the bridegroom. They see him. They yell, here he comes. And they go, well, give us some of your oil. And they said, no, we have enough for us. Go to your dealers. Go to the distributor down the street. It's too late. So they take the bridegroom in, they close the door, and that's it. They're going to be left out. See, the entire history of the Old Testament and the entire Jewish history, the disciples would have understood this, should have acted as preparation for the coming of Christ, amen? We know that. They did not see the signs and they were not prepared for the Messiah. They missed it and they're shut out so far, so far. Two things we can find out about or we can learn about this one through 13 with the parable of virgins. Some things cannot be attained at the last minute. You ever heard of a, Deathbed confession, 
or somebody says, you know, on my deathbed, I'll, I'll come to Christ. How many of you know the day you're going to die? You didn't pick the day you were born. You didn't pick the day you were going to die. You just need to be ready. Okay? There's people dying every day that don't know they're going to die. But what happens is they say, well, I'll just wait. If I get sick and, and, and I know I'm probably going to die, I'm going to go ahead and ask Jesus into my heart. That's not how it works. People get hit by cars. People get hit by, you know, there's accidents. And those are the dangerous thing. Oh, like for instance, I always said on 9-11 when 3,500 people died in those plane crashes, that was a tragedy. And the bigger tragedy was those who had an opportunity to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ before that. And you look out your office window on the 70th floor and here comes a plane. Do you have time to ask Christ into your heart? So maybe you should have ahead of time. So that's the time to do it. Second thing, certain things can't be borrowed. Roger talked about in, in the announcements, uh, which you're really good at, by the way. I think we'll, we'll give you another job. Um, he talked about in the announcements about our kids, how important that legacy is for our kids. Uh, when when, when Lori, Lori and I have three sons, and when they went off to college, we told them, your faith cannot be ours. You have to have your own faith. And all three of them said, cool, we're good. And, and then they slid for a year or less. And they're all three following the Lord right now, thank God, on their own. They cannot have our faith. They cannot borrow our faith. All right? They all said they were Christians going through high school. But they really started following the Lord after they made that declaration on their own. That's where it's really important. This, is, this parable is about readiness. And in verse 13, as Justin just read, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Some of you are really good planners in here. You know, you got your life planned out. I did too. Uh, when I was going to retire, when I was going to stop working, and that plan changed. On my own, thank God, but that plan changed. And now I don't know what the plan is because I'm just kind of waiting for the Lord. But in this case, with this decision, you guys need to have a plan that says no love, and, no love and serve Jesus right now because time's running out. You don't know the day or the hour. So I have Justin back up, read the second parable. Be prepared. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he made five more talents. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But the one who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them, and he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. 
enter into the joy of your master. And he who had the two talents came forward saying, uh, Master, uh, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two more talents. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew that you are a hard man reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Uh, here, here's uh, what you have. It's yours. But the master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers. And at my coming, I should have at least received what I was mine with interest. Take from the talent from him and give it to the one with 10 talents. For to everyone who has more will be given and he who has abundance. But for him, the one who has not even what he has will be taken away and cast that worthless servant into the outer darkness and the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Amen. Clap for him. That's the word of God. Thank you. Talents. Um, the first, the first part of, of what Justin read was it will be like. And, and oftentimes we take these parables and we separate them. The parable of the ten virgins and the parable of the talents. No doubt all of you have heard many sermons on the parable of the talents if you've been in church for any amount of time. Um, uh, more often than not misused uh, of what talents are. Oh, it's a parable of uh, if you have a great singing voice, you need to sing more. If you're a teacher, you need to teach. If you're a a tremendous dramatic reader, you need to do that more. That's not what it means. The word talent in, in scripture is a unit of measure, a weight. Uh, uh, one commentator said it's, uh, uh-oh, I unclipped. One commentator said it's, uh, for a slave, it was 20 years wages. So if a slave made $10,000 a year, that's $200,000. So the master gave him 20 years wages times five, 20 years wages times two, 20 years wages times one. Doesn't mean he liked the other one better. It was just that who had uh, the responsibility or who was able. The book of Romans tells us you all have different gifts. You all have different opportunities. And that's what the parable of the talents is really talking about. It was probably silver, but it could have been measured into copper and gold as well. It's really important that we don't misinterpret the parable of the talents into thinking it's our talent. That's an American word. That's an English word. That's not what this word means. Talent is a weight of measure. Again, he gave five, he gave two, and he gave one. But the first part of this in, in section, or in verse 14, he said, it will be like, what will be like? It will be like when the master shows up you have to go back to verse 1. It'll be um, in verse 1. Give me one again. I just went brain dead. The kingdom. Uh, thank you. Sorry. It'll be like the kingdom of heaven. So you can't just start in 14 and say it will be like because there's no context. So you have to go back to verse 1 and read the whole section all the way through. It will be like the kingdom of heaven. Is it the invisible kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about here? No. It's the kingdom of heaven right here on earth because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what he says is, 
This will be like, the kingdom of heaven will be like. The two parables are consecutively done for a reason. Don't forget that. Um, I really want to focus on the last, serv- the last uh, servant here because we focus on numbers one and two a lot. Five talents, oh, that guy got 100% on his money. Two talents, that servant got 100% on his money. But the third talent, the third servant got one talent. What did he do with it? It says here, but the man with one talent went off and dug a hole. Now, I had a grandmother who lived through the Depression. When she died, we found hundreds, tens of thousands of dollars in her stove, under her mattress. She just hid her money. That's what happened in the Depression because they were afraid banks were going to lose it. It made her no money. It made no investment. That's basically what it's talking about. I have a son who's, uh, who's an investment private wealth manager, and he would go nuts at this because you need to invest your money, and that's really what it's talking about here. But Jesus is also showing these guys, you need to, when, he, when Christ invests in you, you need to have something to show for it. It's called fruit off the vine, right? And then we get, we'll talk a little bit later about, about works theology, and that's not what we're talking here. But he went and dug a hole and he hid the master's money. He went off and buried it, whatever it was. He didn't want anyone to see what he was up to. You know, we go back to the book of Joshua and Achan in the fall of Jericho, and God told him, you will will conquer them, but don't take any of their loot. Don't take any of of their gold and silver. And what did Achan do? He took it. And where did he take it? He went to his tent, he cut a hole, and he buried it, covered it back up. God knew what he did, and he started asking. And all of a sudden, uh, all of a sudden, they started getting killed. And he finally went to Achan, and he said, what did you do? And he said, yes, I did this. And so what did they do to Achan? They made him dig it out of the hole. They made him come before the council. They stoned him and lit his family on fire. Wait a minute. Where's our God of love? How could a God do that? My God wouldn't do that. Well, wait a minute. God was very clear in the Old Testament. We have the same God as the New Testament. We're under the new covenant, but we have the same God. Oh, wait a minute. How could a God of love do that? We'll get to that in a second. The man in Matthew 13 had the parable of the hidden treasure and he buried it in a field. It was very common to bury things for the Jews. But then we wonder, who is this third servant? Are all the servants believers? What have you guys heard in the past? They're called servants. I would think they're believers. Well, what's a believer? Is he a follower or is he a believer? Is he a Christian? Is he a Pharisee? Is he a wicked servant? One commentary says it represents the Pharisees. They wanted to keep the law and they sought to build a fence around it, paralyzing religions in the Old Covenant. If they paralyzed religion in the Old Covenant, guess who stayed in power? The Pharisees, which is ultimately why they sent Jesus to his death. Well, the real reason was so he could die to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins, right? But they thought they were gonna stay in power. 
Other commentaries say it's a person who claimed to be a Christian, a false servant, or a person who does nothing for the kingdom, invests nothing in the kingdom, a virgin with no oil, a person who's given opportunity and fails at it and doesn't take advantage of it. The master's so upset he sends him to the outer darkness. Well, we're not sure who the outer darkness is. One commentator said, it's profound regret. I did some research on that, and that's found nowhere else in Scripture. You know what darkness is a signal of, and the weeping and gnashing of teeth is a symbol of? Hell. Matthew 24, Matthew 21, all through Matthew and all through the New Testament, the weeping and gnashing of teeth is hell. See, my thoughts are he doesn't seem to know his master at all. Much like some people say they believe in God, but don't seem to know him well, the God of their understanding. Uh, I was talking to a neighbor not too long ago, and, and he said, I don't know about this religion stuff. And I said, yeah, me either. I'm not big on religion. And he said, it was Easter Sunday, and, and he, his mom had just passed away, and he said, I, I just don't understand it. And, and, and I don't think all the religions can be wrong, so I'm just really confused. I said, well, they, they gave you a book. Okay? And it's the Bible, and it's historical, and it's archaeological, and it's culturally accurate for those times, and it gives a word for us today. It's written by 40 different people, 66 books, over a 5,000-year period, and says the same thing, that the Messiah is coming, and that you need one. And he said, well, I still don't understand it. Um, I said, like what? He said, like Adam and Eve had belly buttons. Okay, how do you know that? I saw pictures, he said. Now, it would be funny if it wasn't sad. And I said to him, oh God, let me sit down and talk to you about this. I'm not going to push my religion on you, but I'm going to share the word with you. And, and, but you know what? How many people go through life? I said, you mean like that blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus that, that was hanging in the Lutheran church when I grew up? The surfer guy, like Paul Graves used to look like when we were in high school. <laughs> he doesn't look like that anymore. Um, me neither, brother. Uh, Jesus looked like a Jew in the first century, right? Black curly hair, he looked just like everyone else. But our depiction of him is many times what the world gets. Is, oh, well, that's who God is. Or we hear just the story of Achan, and we say he stoned them, and he burned his whole family. God's in the killing business. God's in the justice business. Divine justice business. One of the things he said here, master, I knew. This is how we, we know he doesn't know God. The third servant says, Master, I knew you. I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid. So I went and hid your talent. Here, you got your stuff back. Okay. If you know God, and those of you who read the word often, you know this is not a God who scatters no seed, who did not sow. And he's not a God you need to be afraid of. Now, reverential awe that Craig talked about last week, yes. But
but it's not a God we're supposed to be fearful of because he loves us. Amen? Amen. So how can you have a God that scatters no seed when he creates the entire universe? Of course he scattered seed and sowed. So um, we know from reading scripture, we have a God of love. John 3, 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son to die for us. He loved us enough to send his son to the cross for us. That's a God of love. But you know, this guy had a handful of excuses. Now, scripture's full of excuses. And there's some, uh, we think, okay, these are really godly men that I'm gonna show you here in a second. But we think, you know, Lord, sometimes we have excuses of why we can't serve you. Moses had excuses. In Exodus 3, I know this is kind of small, sorry, but Moses said, who am I that I I should lead the Israelites? In Exodus 4.10, he says, Lord, I am not an eloquent speaker, slow of speech and of tongue. History has it that Moses had a stutter. But but God asked him to do it. But but Lord, I've got, I I can't, I can't. So he gives him Aaron. Guys go together. Jeremiah had him. The Lord told him, this is amazing. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, Jeremiah. Before you were born, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Jeremiah says, hey, thanks. No, he says, Lord, I don't know how I'm gonna speak. I'm just a kid. He just said he appointed him a prophet. Gideon had him in Judges. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. The Lord's talking to him. You, go. I got your back. And Gideon says, Lord, I can't save Israel. I'm the weakest in Manasseh. I am the least in my father's house. And then this just slays me in Luke. Oops, Luke 14. Uh Uh-oh, where'd I go? There we go. Uh Uh-oh, now I'm getting crazy. That's why you don't give me a remote. Wait, wait. Next one. Hey, Jesus shares the parable of the great banquet. This is such a good read. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant out to say, those who had been invited, come, everything's ready. But all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field. I got to go inspect it. The second one said, "I, I just bought five oxen. I need to go and examine them. And the last one said, well, I just got married. I got a wife. She won't let me go. I know. Thank you, Linda. Linda said, it doesn't say that. You're right, I'm adding. But all of those were excuses. In verse 24 of Luke 14, he said, none of those who have been invited shall taste my banquet. Folks, if we don't accept the call of Christ... There's no purgatory. It's nowhere in scripture. I know some of you are recovering Catholics. That's what happens. There is no such thing as purgatory. It's nowhere in scripture. It's made up. You don't get a second chance. That's why the Lord says be ready and be available for his call. Um... Back to Matthew 25. The master hammers him. He takes his excuses and he uses them against him. If what the servant said is true and it's not, the master says, 
you at least should have put my money in the bank with the bankers and I should have received interest. He's basically saying, I'm not asking much, just the basics. Do you know, do you know God doesn't need us? Do you guys know that? I read a book once years ago, changed my Christian thinking. Because when I came to Christ in 1990, I was like, Rick's here. We're going to get some stuff done. God is so lucky that Rick Eric showed up. And I was like, wow, what an idiot. But what's true is I read Experiencing God by Blackaby and King, and it said, and I don't remember the whole book, but I remember this part, God doesn't need you. Because if he did, he wouldn't be God. But God can use you if you're usable. And that's all he's saying to this last, this last servant with the one talent. Didn't matter that he didn't have five. Just, I just want to use you in your limited capacity. That's okay. I'm available. What does the master say to him? I love you. It's okay. You're fine. No, he says, cast this clown, this worthless servant, into the outer darkness, in the place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds like hell. So the truth is, this is a wicked, lazy servant. Not a follower of Christ at all. He can't be. Because if he's a true Christian, he wouldn't have been thrown into hell, would he? Because that means he's lost his salvation. And scripture doesn't teach once you have your salvation, you can use it. Once saved, always saved, right? If saved. Is he a believer? Probably. I think the servant believed. Satan's a believer. He's not a follower. See, God's looking for followers, stewards. Throughout the entire book of Matthew, Christ describes hell as the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And this outer darkness. Do you know what darkness is? There is no such thing as darkness. It's the absence of light. With no God, no Christ in your life, guess what? It's darkness. And this is what Jesus is talking about. It is darkness. Hell is not just going to be this place of, well, you know, life without God. Sorry. It's eternal torment. It's darkness. And that's tough for some people to hear, but it's in the word of God. The ones who had five talents and two talents had different opportunities. That's a whole nother message. Why they had, one had more opportunity than the other. That's okay. Roger and Craig have master's degrees from theological seminaries. And once they recovered from that, they became really good preachers. <laughs> that's a Brad Fogel joke. Um, thank you, Brad. Uh, but the funny thing is, Guess what? You think because much has been given to them from the Lord and they've dedicated their lives to, to, to preaching the word of God, do you think God holds them a little more accountable than just us? That's the five talents. And they multiply them and they double them. And for us, with two talents, he expects 100% from us as well. And to the one talent, he expected 100% from him as well. He didn't expect him to get five. He just said double it. He basically said, here's the opportunity. Part of the problem is, is uh, we, we get afraid. Like, like say these talents are sharing your faith. I like to share my faith in my own way. 
Uh, ever since I've been in business, when I would travel, uh, I learned this from a man named Hollis Henson who, who is in heaven now. But many years ago, 1991, 92, we were sitting down to have dinner. He was a, he was a business associate. He said, hey, uh, do, do, you, do you mind if I bless my food? I'll bless yours as well. Okay. And, you know, a lot of times you're with somebody and you're with a Christian and they just put their head down and they start, and you're like, what, what's, what's going on? But he offered that opportunity to me. So I started using that. I asked him if I could and he said it wasn't mine. It was from God. And I started using that. So everybody I had dinner with or lunch with my entire career over the last 40, well, last 31 years, I said, hey, Kathy, I'm going to bless my food. Do you mind if I bless yours too? Yes. No one ever said no. No one ever said no. There was a lot of non-Christians. I had lunch and dinner with Indian guys that were Buddhists and Muslim guys and whatever. No one ever said no. That was my way to share. Now, many times it would be, we're never going to talk about this again. Other time, but they knew when they had lunch or dinner with Rick Ayers or breakfast, they were going to have a prayer, just a quick prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for who you are in my life. And bless this time together. It wasn't a big sermon, but that was my opportunity. More often than not, we'd get in the car, we'd go make sales calls, and one of the guys said, oh, you're a church guy, huh? I'm a church guy too, really? I would not have known that. And then we start talking about sharing your faith. See, when you have an opportunity, take it. You don't have to do it my way, but if you're afraid of sharing your faith, Peter has something to say about that. Now, this is the same Peter who denied Christ three times. This is some 50 years later, Peter has changed a bit. Peter's writing some good stuff. When, one of the things I want to interject here, when, when God saw Peter, when, when Christ was making breakfast after he rose and he was cooking bacon <laughs> and eggs at the at what they call Peter's primacy in, in Jerusalem or outside of Jerusalem. Um, Peter jumps, he puts his cloak on and jumps and he runs to Jesus. And what does Jesus say to him? Hey man, can I count on you now? No. Because you know what? God can't count on me either. All right? Because I'm a sinner just like the rest of you. But he said to Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. That's what he asked him three times. Just, do you love me? And that's all Christ is asking you today. Do you love me? Are you available? That sounds crazy. Um, out there. But what Peter says, and this is one of my life verses, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Every one of you, somebody walks up and says, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Jordan. What is your story? I don't know. I just love God. I know that's not your story. You don't have to be Roger or Craig or even me standing up here proclaiming the word of God. But in your own way, always be able to give an answer why you have the hope that you have, that you have in Christ Jesus. And then we get afraid. And in verses 13 and 14, Peter knew that. And he says, now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? 
No, do not have fear or be troubled. Who's got your back? The Lord, who created you and created everything. Who better to have on your side? God doesn't ask us more than we can handle. Okay? I didn't say he doesn't give you more than you can handle. Okay? Or than than you ask. Basically, it's you got one talent, you got two talents, you got five talents. Don't try it if you have if you're a one talent person, don't try to get five. Stay in your lane. As you grow, like Peter, this is not the same Peter that we read early in the book of Acts. All right? Peter is just downtrodden until he comes to see Christ again and he feels forgiven. What does he do for the rest of his life? He preaches because that was his gift. He got another opportunity. James says, faith without works is dead. God does ask something of us. Yes, I know, we've been saved by grace through faith, not by works so no one can boast. Yes, absolutely. But the Lord does ask that we all be fruit bearers for the kingdom, amen? I hope this message is a warning shot, a reminder to all of us to be ready for the coming of Christ and to be good stewards to what the Lord owns which is everything. As the worship team comes forward, see that? Giving a little break. As the worship team comes forward, I want to pray. Please bow with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for all you do for us and in us. Lord, we know you are the one true God and the creator of the universe. Who are we that you would take notice of us? And still, you gave your only son to live and die for us and for all mankind. Lord, will you help us in our desire to be your servants? Will you continue to teach us your way, teach us your path to truth? Teach us to be good servants working for the kingdom. Most of all, Lord, teach us to become humble and allow your Holy Spirit to direct us. May we not dismiss your spirit, but honor and glorify you in all we do. Lord, we, the followers of Christ here at Foothills Church, desire to hear you say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy of the Master. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen.